It is so good for us to be here. We feel really blessed to be with you. Um, I feel ministered to already with that worship, so thank you for that. Uh, just to say that I came, you already met my two friends, Diane and Denise. Uh, we made the journey from uh, our homes in Ireland, caught the bus down to Dublin, and then we went from Dublin across by the plane, obviously, to New York. And we had another hotel in New York, and we relaxed and did it nicely. Uh, I'm of a certain age where I like to rest, <laughs> and uh, these girls, uh, we're all in different stages. So after flying to uh, New York, we arrived at our hotel room, and Denise was ready to run. <laughs> so she got herself kitted out and went down to the, I'm, I'm speaking nice and slowly, you're getting used to my voice, okay? So uh, she went down to the gym and she just uh, ran for three miles. And then she came back and then the following morning, before breakfast, she ran another three miles. So I was, I think our eyes, we were cross-eyed. Uh, so then I discovered that Diane is not quite so energetic. <laughs> she's coming a little bit more my direction, but she's into stressing, Pilates, stressing. So I, we've been having Pilates classes for the last few days, and I'm learning to stretch. So over this weekend, we are believing that each of you will enter into God's rest in a very special way. We believe that the prayer stations in particular we believe there will be opportunity there for you to really touch in to God's rest. Uh, I won't be speaking about the gates until tomorrow morning and explain about that in a moment, uh, but we're trusting that these prayer stations uh, that Lane and Eden have written uh, these notes so beautifully and they tie in so well with what's in my heart. So I'm believing there will be rest for you as you go through the stations. But as well as the rest, we're believing you're going to be stretched. Who's up to be stretched? So we're going to, in a few moments, I'm going to actually do a little practical thing with you to get ready for the stretching. But the point of all of this is that when you leave this weekend, we're believing you're going to be able to run in a way that you haven't been able to run before. We're believing that when God speaks to you, and we haven't come here casually, we haven't come with a thought, oh, we'll bring a nice little message. We have asked God to give us words, and we're believing that he will speak. Not my voice, but we're believing that God Almighty will speak to each of your hearts. And we're believing that when you leave here, you know the way it talks in the Bible about running the race? We're believing you are going to run the race in a much more focused way and with a lot of the burdens off your shoulders. And we're believing that God's going to do something very, very powerful if you're up for it, okay? So the first thing I'd love you to do before we start is to ask you all to stand. I know you've been standing a moment or two ago, but I'd like you to do it again, please, just for a moment. So we're thinking Pilates, okay? Pilates. You all know what Pilates is, yeah? yeah. So I have to do this whilst I hold on to the mic so we can do that. I want you okay. I want you to put your hands up and I want you to stretch as high as you can stand, as you can stretch. And I want you to think about stretching up to God. 
I want you to think about how you're actually wired for worship. Caroline Leaf says we're wired for worship, we're wired for love, we're designed to worship God. And I want you to close your eyes and I want you to take a moment and worship him. Thank him for what he's going to do in your heart this weekend. And as your hands are stretched upwards, I want you to know that the Holy Spirit is already rushing towards you with his anointing and his love and his blessing. And I pray that you will receive that in the moment. And now I'd love you just to stretch your arms outwards and as you do so, think about opening up your spirit to God. This is a weekend about rubble and we're going to invite the Holy Spirit to shine his light into every area of your life. We want him to shine his light because we want him to deal with the stuff that's there. Maybe there's hurt. Maybe there's unresolved grief. Maybe there's anger, disappointment. Maybe there's bitterness that has just grown there after a long time of being hurt and let down. Maybe there's confusion. What is your rubble tonight? Maybe there are areas of darkness that you don't actually know what's going on. So we invite the Holy Spirit. I ask you to take a moment and to invite the Holy Spirit to shine in your heart and to do what he has to do this weekend. And finally, I just ask that you bring your arms right up and cross your hands over your heart. Just ask God that he will deal with your heart. That the true you might be released this weekend. That you will give him permission to lift off those masks that maybe have been there for a very long time. God created you to be you. You are so special. He created you in his image. We pray that over this weekend, that any distortions that the enemy has tried to work in your life, that God will reveal them. And gently, ever so gently, remove them, that the true you might shine forth. Amen. Let's just put our hands down by our sides and be ready to receive. Caroline Leaf says that we are built, designed to worship that we're actually designed to be addicted to God, that we're made in his image. She also says that when we worship together, that our heartbeat comes into rhythm as one. Isn't that quite amazing? 
where all our heartbeats are all uh, individual right now, but when we were worshipping Megan and Suzanne. According to Caroline Leaf, who is, uh, what is she, uh, a cognitive neuroscience person, <laughs> psychologist or something like that. And she says that when we're worshipping, that every heart comes into line and our hearts begin to beat in rhythm. I think that's quite, quite awesome. So we're going to talk tonight, and uh, I wanted to say a couple of things before I start. Recently, somebody said to me, what do you believe, what do you really believe will be the outcome that will determine how you will live, what you will do, how you will behave? And how you behave will eventually become what you will become. Let me read that to you. What you believe determines how you will behave, and how you behave determines who you will become. And so, as we start off tonight, I'm very, very aware of dependency on the Holy Spirit. I'm very aware that what goes, what, what has happened in your life in the past, whatever that might be, has brought you to this place. And what happens in this place will bring you forward into the future. And so this is actually, I believe, a very significant weekend. This is not just a, a coming together to have a little jolly time. I believe this is strategic for the future, for your future. And so we're going to look at a long line of heroes, maybe not so long, but a line of heroes, uh, people who knew what it was, to grasp the moment, because I'm inviting you to grasp this moment as a moment of decision, as a moment of deciding what you really believe and how you will behave as an outcome of this weekend so that you will become all that God wants you to be. And so I'm asking you this weekend that you will uh, take a moment and think about where you are right now. And we're going to challenge you to grasp this moment for Jesus. Ephesians 5 verses 15 to 16 say, So be careful how you live. Don't live like fools. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. This is a day of opportunity. This is a weekend where we can actually get more aligned with Jesus Christ and with all that he has for our lives. And so we're going to remember that this is a weekend where we can choose. And I am going to talk to you starting, you know we're going to talk about Nehemiah tomorrow. Well, I'm going to bring you along this line of people who brings us to the time of Nehemiah because what happened before was important for Nehemiah's time. And I have, I've had this picture for a long time now of standing in line in history. And we're all standing in line. So I want you to imagine that this is a hallway, but it, well, it is a hallway, but I want you to imagine that this is a spiritual hallway and we're going to look and we're going to be introduced to some of the characters who came before Nehemiah's time. And we're going, I'm going to introduce you to Daniel first of all, and Daniel's standing somewhere around here and he's a little bit, he's a very humble person so he's standing back in the shadows, but we believe he's here, we're, we're we're, we're talking about Daniel, and we're going to look at his life. And, and as we go through these heroes, I think you're, you're going to find, excuse me, my mouth is dry, you're going to find uh, 
situations that will resonate with you. I believe you will find challenges, you will find, uh, you will find opportunities for you to identify yourself. So I wanted to look first of all with Daniel. I'm not going to read a huge amount of scripture, but I just want to tell you first of all a little bit about Daniel. Who has read the story of Daniel? What's the first thing you think of when you think of Daniel? The lion's den, yeah, okay. Well, we're going to go right back much, much earlier than that. And I want you to imagine this young man, probably in his teens, being taken by force out of his homeland, out of Israel, probably Jerusalem. He's a young prince or a noble. He comes from a royal line. And he, along with a number of other young men, have been taken captive by King Nebuchadnezzar. And they are marched across the desert the whole way to Iraq, modern-day Iraq. And I want you to imagine what it was like for this young man to be brought to a strange country. He was some mother's son. He's brought to a strange country with a different culture, with a different language. And he is brought to the, the palace of the king in Babylon. And he is being uh, worked on to become like a Babylonian. They're trying, to, they're trying to make him like one of them. They see potential in him and in some of the other young men. I'm just going to get the place here. And they want to brainwash him. They want to do a job on him. Now here's the thing. I personally believe that Daniel was not only forced to come to the palace in Babylon, but I personally believe that he was emasculated. I have reason for saying that. I believe uh, that if you look back, it won't take time to do it, but back in 2 Kings 20, there was a prophecy given to one of the kings, one of the kings of Israel. And the prophecy was that God said that the Babylonians would take away some of your sons and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. Now, could you imagine what it was like for a young man like that to end up in a strange country with a different language, and I don't know if they drugged him or whatever, but to perform that horrible operation and for him to waken up and have that loss of his sexual identity, of any hope of having children. Can you imagine the pain and the grief and the loss that must have hit Daniel as a young man. It's not mentioned in the scripture, but have you ever, ever noticed that he never married? And it seems that the Babylonians were very into having eunuchs in their palaces. So this is, I believe, it's, I, believe I can say that and be fairly sure that that's the truth. And so I can't imagine what it was like for this young man and the pain that he experienced. And in our modern day, where there's so much confusion about sexuality and all of that, I think this is actually quite a relevant story. And so here he is, and he's, he's lost. He's lost everything. He's lost family. He knows he's going to be here. He's going to spend the rest of his days in this foreign land. But there's one thing that I want to say about Daniel, and it's spoken in chapter 1. It says, Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself. I think that is quite an amazing statement that's made in that opening chapter. He purposed in his heart. What was it like for him? You know, in Psalm 100, you say Psalm, we say Psalm. 
Psalm, Psalm 137, talks about, did I say that okay? Yes. Talks about how uh, when the um, captives were taken to Babylon, how they were so sad because they had left all that they loved in Jerusalem that they sat down by the rivers and wept. You know, you know that psalm? Well, I wonder about, the, about that psalm, that psalm, and I think it's a very, very descriptive thing. But here's the question I want to ask you. How do we stay connected to that which is most true about us in a strange land when life hits us hard? I want to just read this quote. It's taken from Pursuing God's Will Together with Ruth Haley Barton. And here's what she asked this question. When the Israelites were forced to live as exiles in Babylon, they wondered, how do we sing the Lord's song? How do we stay connected to that which is most true about us in a strange land? And then she goes on to say that she believes they held on to their essence through telling and remembering their stories. Remember that God was very big into telling the story to your children. Tell the story about how God brought us out of Egypt. Tell the story. Pass it on. And I believe that God in his grace brought those three other men. You know the three friends of Daniel? We call them Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. Those were three men with the same background. Isn't it amazing how God so often brings people around you when you need them? And I believe those three men, I believe that they spoke often and they reminded themselves of their stories. And I want to say to you ladies that all of you have a story. A unique story that will never be written again. Your, your life is writing a story that will never be written again. You're standing in your line in history. And you're going forward. And this is your opportunity to get lined up again if you've got a little bit out of the way. This is an opportunity. It doesn't matter how old we are. It doesn't matter if you think that you have missed an opportunity earlier in your life. It doesn't matter if you think that you made so many mistakes that you can't possibly get back on track. God is such a God that he can get you back on track even if you're just coming towards the end. He can still work things together. That's what I, I love about God. He's so amazing. He's so wonderful. Nothing's too hard for him. And the enemy wants to tell you, you've made too many mistakes. You, you, you can't go back. You can't redo those years. You've lost them. But God says, no, but I can work 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 all things not some things but all things i can work them if you just give them to me and so this is your opportunity if you feel that you've made mistakes if you feel that there's a big part of you that just you such regrets i meet so many people who are living with regret and god said that's rubble regret isn't of any use to you it's no good to you i meet so many people who are living with fear Fear is such a big fear of the future. Fear of what might happen later today or tomorrow. That's rubble. God doesn't want you to live with fear. He died to free you from fear. He died to fill you full of his love and his goodness and his power. The power that's in the gospel is in you. The Holy Spirit is in you. And so God wants us to realise that we have a story and he wants us to share the story. And so often the trouble is we don't share our story. We keep it, we hide it, we think it's worthless. No, your story is not worthless to God. God loves your story. He wants to plan it with you. He wants to walk with you through your own personal story. So how, how, did, how did Daniel manage? How did he manage 
to, to make this decision. How did he, apart from the stories, how do we do this? And I have to read this to you. It's a wee bit, wee bit, wee bit lengthy. But this is gold. This is something I read on the 21st of January. And I have had it in my heart, and I think there's something in this word that could be for you tonight. The spirit within you does not conform to negative attitudes, to restless crowds or toxic cult cultures, or any other contrary situation that you might find yourself in as you carry out your daily activities. The Spirit's desire is to work in and through you, to change the atmosphere around you, to bring a glimpse of God's kingdom, a taste of shalom to those you encounter. Your attitudes, words and actions are powerful transformers of the world. Do you hear me? Do you hear what I'm saying? Your actions, your words, your attitudes are powerful transformers of the world. You cannot affect the environment of the world, however, unless you have been immersed in the environment of heaven. First and foremost, that means being in deep and intimate fellowship with God. And as you begin to understand and experience the culture of the Trinity, I want you, don't, don't go to sleep on, keep listening to this, okay? What's the culture of the Trinity? The selflessness, mutual admiration and love, full openness and vulnerability and complete abs absence of evil among the Father, the Son and the Spirit. And as you dwell and spend time with them, you begin to take on God's nature. And as you take on his nature, you begin to impart it to those in relationship with you. They may not be able to articulate why they feel different around you, but they will. Simply because they're getting a glimpse of heaven through you. Your immersion in God's kingdom empowers you to carry it everywhere you go. That means that the greatest gift you can give to the world begins in a very personal place, your fellowship with the Father, the Son and the Spirit and the holy environment of their love. You will not become perfect in the divine attributes and culture of heaven, but you must continue to grow in them. Why? Because you can't impart what you don't have. The stronger you grow in the Spirit, the more powerfully he influences your world through you. If you allow him to dramatically change the atmosphere within you, he will dramatically change the atmosphere around you. And your influence as salt and light in this world will open hearts to the spirit who fills you. And there's a little prayer. Spirit of God, saturate me in the character of the kingdom, the culture of heaven, the fullness of your love and power. Make me an outpost of the heavenly environment as I carry your presence into this world. Give us a taste of who you really are. Now, I have to go quickly now through Daniel and we're going to get on to our next guest. Okay? Daniel, purpose in his heart. And I'm wondering if you have come to this retreat and are you ready to purpose in your heart that you want to do it God's way, that you want to allow him to show you the areas that need 
his spirit to touch and to move and to change? Are you ready to purpose in your heart that things are going to be different from here on, that you want him to come and change you? I believe many of you are. So here we are. He purposed in his heart. And what did he do? Well, he began to take a stand and he chose not to defile himself. And so God honoured him because he stood up for God. And actually God lifted him up and elevated him, gave him position in Babylon. Those of you who know the story will know that he was really favoured and he became part of the government of of Persia. Now here's the thing. God had given the Jews, before they were taken captive, out of keep pointing over here as if this is where Israel is, but we'll say it's over here. <laughs> before, before the Israelites were ca- taken captive, God had given a promise. He promised them that they would come back from Babylon within 70 years. Now, Daniel didn't actually know about this. He hadn't at this stage read Jeremiah 29.11. We're going to read it now. Let me just read it to you, first of all. And I want you just to think of this. Daniel hadn't actually read this yet. How do I know? Because it tells me in Daniel 9, after, at the end of the rule of Babylon, whenever the Persians came in, that one day he noticed it. It actually tells you in Daniel 9. So Daniel didn't have this problem, this promise to go on. Let me read to you what it says. This is the promise that God gave. After 70 years are completed at Babylon... I will visit you and perform my good word towards you and cause you to return to this place. Many of us don't read that before the next verse. We don't see it in context. For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and go and pray to me and I will listen to you. And you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. I will be found by you, says the Lord, and I will bring you back from your captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and from the places where I have driven you, says the Lord. And I will bring you to the place from which I caused you to be carried away captive. And so Daniel had never read that until much later on, but he still honoured God. He still chose to honour God. And so God really lifted him up, gave him tremendous favour in Babylon, and he became not only someone who um, influenced the king, not only someone who was well known by all the Babylonians, but he was lifted up into a place where he was able to prophesy, even for, even for now we're still seeing prophecies being fulfilled that Daniel was given. And not only that, but we, we know that he was one of the people who was still standing at the end of the Babylonian reign. Isn't that incredible? All the kings, Nebuchadnezzar and all the other kings that followed, they were all gone by the time the Persians came in. Now, I'm going to give you a little bit of history here. And I, I get really excited about this. Okay, so excuse me if I do get very excited. I'm hoping you will too. But this blows my mind. When I realised what God did and how God uh, brought down the kingdom of Babylon. Babylon was a place where it was full of idolatry. They worshipped everything. And it was a, a place where God's name wasn't lifted up at all. In fact, they, they actually took all of the beautiful cups and all the different um, 
uh, pieces of gold out of the temple in Jerusalem and they brought all of, of the, the cups and all of the, the worshipping things that they used in the, in the temple. They brought them over to Babylon. They used them just like for nothing. They, they had really were people who, who did not have any interest in the God of heaven. But I just want to very quickly give you a little bit of a picture about Babylon. Are you still all with me? Yes. How's my time going? Am I okay? Okay, because this excites me because Babylon was such an amazing place. In the natural, you would have thought that Babylon would, would, would not have been over, overcome. It seemed to be a place that was very, very strong. It covered 196 square mile. This is the city of Babylon. It was protected by an outer wall that was 311 feet high. Get the picture. It was 87 feet thick. Chariots could race along the top of the wall that was around Babylon. Controlling access through the, the barriers were more than 100 bronze gateways. The Euphrates River meandered through Babylon, a bit like the Thames goes through London, um, and the walls were lined with brick. There was a bridge 1,080 yards long by 30 feet broad across the river, and on either end of that bridge there was the royal palaces. It was some place. It was. It was the, the the one of those palaces, the more magnificent one, was surrounded by three walls, and the middle wall was 300 feet high with towers of 420 feet high. It was the most amazing stronghold. It was a place that looked to be such a fortified city that no one could get in. And yet God spoke through Isaiah the prophet and said that Babylon was going to fall. Now, Cyrus was the man that God chose to bring Babylon down. And I'm going to talk a little bit about Cyrus in a moment. But he, he decided that he was going to attempt to do the impossible to conquer this impenetrable fortress. And his strategy was simple. Can I tell you what he did? He simply dug trenches upstream and diverted the water from the Euphrates. So this Euphrates is going through the city. He diverted the water from the Euphrates to a reservoir up a little bit up from the city. And once the water levels dropped and under the cover of darkness, the Persian soldiers slipped into the knee-deep water and marched up the riverbed and snuck under Babylon's giant gates. Now, they infiltrated the outer gates, but there was still brass and iron internal gates which controlled the access into the city. Now, here's the thing. I'm telling you all of this for a reason. The particular night that Cyrus chose to, uh, to go and take Babylon, was a night that they were all partying. They were having a party. It was a night of festival in the city. And from the king to all of the ordinary people to all of the, uh, the, the, the various ranks within the city, they were all partying and they were drinking heavily. And if any of you know the story about Belshazzar, who knows about the finger on the wall? Remember that story? That was the night. That was the night that Cyrus decided, I haven't time to go into it. I've got a whole lot of history there, but I can't go into it because we haven't got time. But you know, the amazing thing is that Daniel was still there that night. He'd been out of favour for a while, 
But whenever Belshazzar saw the finger on the wall saying, your kingdom's finished, they called very quickly for Daniel's wisdom. And Daniel came in and was still true to God to tell, tell them what the writing meant, that God was going to take the kingdom from them. And that very night, the army, the Persian army, walked knee-deep up the Euphrates and came through those gates, were able to get under the gates. And when they came to the inner gates, which were double, they discovered that those gates somehow had been left open. Now, why am I telling you all this? Because the Bible had prophesied that that would happen. Over a hundred years before, Isaiah, the prophet, had actually spoken and prophesied that a king called Cyrus, he prophesied about Cyrus before Cyrus was born. And he prophesied that Cyrus would go through the double gates. Now, I haven't time, I don't think, to, to read you the, the act. We'll just read it. Let me just read it to you. Isaiah 45. Thus says the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I have held, to subdue nations before him and loose the armour of kings, to open before him the double doors, so that the gates will not be shut. I will go before you and make the crooked places straight. I will break in pieces the gates of bronze. Now, the, apparently, Josephus, the historian, said, he, he recorded that when Cyrus, who was an unbeliever, when he realised that Isaiah the prophet had prophesied before he was born that he would be a king who would, who would actually set uh, Babylon, take Babylon down and bring in the ne next kingdom of Persia, apparently he decided he was going to let the Jews go free. He also let other countries go free as well, I have to say. But he very quickly, about a year after he took the city, he made a law that the Jews could go home. And why I'm telling you that is because Daniel made a decision, he purposed in his heart that he would serve God and God alone. God took over his life and he fulfilled exactly what God had created him to fulfill, to be a faithful witness. Yes, he had loss. Yes, he had pain. But he made a choice and he was a man that we're still talking about. And his prophecies are still to be fulfilled. And here, here he is. And we're saying, Daniel, you did a great job. You chose, you chose well. You've done well. And then we move from Daniel, we move down to Cyrus, and we look at Cyrus and we say, you didn't know God. And we don't know if he ever came to know the God of heaven, but he certainly had tremendous reverence for him. And you know what? God still uses unbelievers. God still uses unbelievers. And you know, this man, although he didn't know God the way we do, as far as we understand, he still took note of the prophetic word. And I believe that we should be very very open to what God says to us prophetically through the scriptures. And of course we have to taste, we've got to test the prophets. If someone gives you a word and says this is a word from God, you've got to test that by the word of God. And you've got to be sure that it rests with your spirit and that it's not something that's, that's not of God. But the prophetic is very, very important. So here we have Daniel, and then we look to Cyrus, and we say, Cyrus, you were a mighty man. You did a, a, an amazing job, even though you didn't know God. 
and then we, we decide, we look at it all and we say, Lord, you are an amazing, amazing God. Cyrus opened the way for the Jews to go home. The thing was that even though God used a king who didn't know God, God used him to prepare the way for his people to go home. And here's the thing, there'll be people in your life that God might well use to open up things for you that you never would have imagined and to fulfill his word to you. Be open to God. Be open to how he might work in your life, as to how he might take you through, if you like, the double doors. God has a double blessing for you. God wants you to go with him. The trouble was that even though Cyrus was used to open up the way, and we, 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 we looked to him and we salute him for, for how, how he worked on behalf of the Jewish nation. But you know, although, although he opened, made it possible for everyone to go back to Israel, not everyone went. There was a lot of Jews who didn't go. They'd got far too comfortable. They'd become very comfortable living in Babylon. And they didn't want to go. And uh, in the end, a man called Zerubbabel. Now, can you say that with me? Zerubbabel. Say it out. <laughs> he was a leader. He stepped up to be a leader to lead the Jews home, to rebuild the temple. That was his plan. Now, I used to teach the kids in school uh, a thing called Bible Explorer. And we used to turn the room into a map. And we used to uh, make the journey, get the kids, dress them up in the headgear, you know, the uh, sort of the Eastern, ancient Eastern look. And we used to get them down at the very bottom of the room and we'd say, this is, this is where Babylon was, and we'd make the journey up. And, and I used to walk with them with a rubber ball, and I used to bounce the rubber ball as we walked along, and say, this is the way the rubber ball came here, and he went right up to the front, and we brought them right up by the Euphrates, and right round into Israel, and we'd make the journey, and I kept bouncing the rubber ball, and then at the end I would lift it up and say, his name was Z Rubber Ball. So Z Rubber Ball led the first class home. And I want to tell you tonight, I want to tell you this, that in this group there are leaders, and there's some of you, and I think that you are stepping back from leading. A leader is someone who influences someone else. It doesn't have to be a leader who's up at the front or who's leading some big organisation. A leader is someone who influences someone else, even just one other person. You're leading that other person. And I want to encourage people who will lead. Zerubbabel led the first group of exiles back to Jerusalem and his mission was to rebuild the broken down pile of rubble that was the temple. The temple. He left with 42,360 and he left in 538 BC. Now, the next person, we look at Zerubbabel and here he is, he's on this side and we're saying, Zerubbabel, well done. You stepped out, you led the people, well done. 60 years later, roughly, what happened? A wicked man called Haman rose up. You all know this story. Who do we see down here? We see our beautiful Esther. And here she is, and she's got her moment. And is she going to grasp her moment? She's not in a very happy marriage. I mean, I know that a lot of books have tried to make it as if it was very romantic. Tommy Tenney, you, you know, we all read it and thought, oh, lovely. But I mean, a woman who's afraid to go to her husband without being invited 
uh, or she might lose her life. I don't think that was a really happy marriage for you. <laughs> Esther, Esther was a woman in the right place at the right time. And she was a woman who stood up to speak out even though she was afraid. And God used her and the Jews still remember her every year and have a whole feast of Purim to remember this particular lady. And so I ask you tonight, I ask you tonight, what about you? Maybe you're in a difficult marriage. Maybe your situation is difficult. But God may have you in this particular place, living in your particular circumstances for such a time as this. Is this your moment? It's so good to be able to say, God, I'm here. Do you know what? We're all here at this particular time in history because God has ordained it to be so. You're all living where you live in the circle of friends that you're living in because God has ordained for you to be here. God is an amazing God. He knows the troubles that you have. He knows your circumstances. But listen, there's a moment when you can speak for him. Let's look at Esther and say, well done, Esther. Esther, you are a beautiful lady. We salute you. We, we thank God for you. And then following Esther, and we're moving up this hallway of Stadium, following Esther, about 20 years later, a little man, I don't know if he's little or not, but I imagine so, a man called Ezra, God spoke to him about teaching God's word, and God put it on his heart to take a whole group of people and to make that long journey back to Jerusalem to go and teach the Jews who had by that time just about rebuilt the temple and to go back and to, to help them and to teach them God's word. And here's what I believe. I believe there are some of you here and God has given you the gift to teach. But you're not pursuing it. And I want to challenge you. If that's what God's saying to you this weekend, I want to challenge you. You know, when I was, uh, I'm going to finish with this. When I was a younger woman, I came to know Jesus when I was eight years old. My mother died in a car accident when I was 12. And so I had a, just be, actually died just before, about two weeks before my, my, my 13th birthday. And that had a huge impact, obviously, on my teenage years and coming into my 20s. I had a, a sort of a heartbreak through my teenage years with a, 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 a mixed up, crazy relationship that wasn't a good one. And so I had a lot of pain right through. Didn't actually even get married until I was almost 40 years old. Prayed that God would give me a son that I could bring up for him. Immediately got pregnant and thank God and knew that, that God had given me a boy. Just knew he'd answered that prayer and asked for a son. And uh, when he was born, realised, uh, just as, uh, quite, very quickly realised after he was born that he was Down syndrome and that he was God's gift to me. It was a huge shock. I wasn't expecting a Down syndrome child. I hadn't had any tests. I didn't know I had a child with a, dis with a learning disability. But you know, William, my son, he's now 31 years old and he is God's greatest gift to me. He is such a blessing. He is, he is such, he's the joy of my life. And at that time when he was born, it didn't look like that. I couldn't imagine. I had worked for over 20 years with learning disability. That was my job. It was like, God, I've worked with 20, for 20 years with kids with, with learning disability. How come I've got a child with learning disability? But you know, very, very quickly, 
my prayer had been through my pregnancy for this child I prayed because I did pray for him and God made me pregnant very very quickly it was amazing I knew that he'd answered my prayer but you know very very quickly after he was born I felt God whisper to my soul this is the child this is the child that I've chosen for you and God chooses right it might seem as though he hasn't chosen well but if we leave it to him I tell you it will work out that he chooses well I could not have a, 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 a son who blesses me anything like William he is just he loves God he loves to worship He's up there every Sunday with a ukulele. He's also a, a quite a big hearing loss, but he loves his ukulele. If he was here, he'd be up with you guys. He would be standing with his ukulele, and he loves to stand at home in his own room and he worship, and he has such a love of God. So God chooses well. But here's the thing. I never once thought I was having a Down syndrome child. And a few years later, when William was about eight years old, I never once thought that my marriage would go badly wrong. We went to the mission field. after, As a 40-year-old married woman, when William was born, I was 41, and we went out to do mission work in, in the East Gulf countries. And we were there for a few years and came back for William's education. At that time, my marriage had gone seriously wrong. I never imagined, I never ever imagined that that I would end up divorced. I was brought up in a, a very traditional Christian church. My parents were Christians. My grandparents were Christians. I never dreamt I would end up being divorced. But do you know, it was during those hard years of going through loss and grief that God actually resurrected and showed me that I could teach God's word. I had loved God's word from I was an eight-year-old child. I had loved God's word. I had read it through my teens and was fascinated with God's word. But I never once had any desire to teach it. It was only when I was going through the darkest time in my life that God began to show me that he wanted me to teach his word and began to open up opportunities to speak about his word. And so here we, here we have it. Ezra is going to teach and he's going to go the whole way the whole way to Jerusalem and he's going to he's going to be faithful to teach God's word and, and I want to challenge you because I believe there could be people in here and actually God wants you to teach his word and I want you to take up that thought and I want you to pray about it because God doesn't make any mistakes and even if you're going through a dark spell you need to know that God will speak to you. Perhaps you hear him more clearly when you're going through a dark spell than when everything else is great. It's a time when God wants to speak. Thirteen years after Ezra, one day, a man called Nehemiah was doing his job and he heard that things back in Jerusalem weren't good. That there was a pile of rubble in Jerusalem that the gates were still broken, that the people had built, they'd done a kind of a job in building the temple, but the gates were still broken down, and the wall was still broken down, and Nehemiah was broken-hearted to hear about the terrible state of his homeland. And it moved him. It moved him to weep and to pray. And so he reached up to heaven, and he prayed to the God of heaven, 
And when he, when he prayed for a few months, it changed his life so that he began to open up his arms and began to think about the other people who were broken and how he could reach back to them. And that's how I want to leave this morning. I want you to stand and I want us not this morning, this evening. I want you to stand and I want us to think just a little bit differently this time. I want you to raise your hands up in the air. Just want you to put your hands up. Lord, I thank you for all of these people in history who honoured you, who grasped their moment, who stepped forward to obey you, who give their lives to you. Lord, they had many difficulties. Some of them were brokenhearted. Esther was in a bad marriage. Zerubbabel had no one really to encourage him at the start, but he went. Lord, Ezra went and was faithful to teach your word. And Lord, thank you for Nehemiah. Thank you, Lord, that when you heard the state of things and heard how other people were suffering, he reached his hands up to you. And so, Lord, we reach your hands up tonight and we worship you and we love you. And we thank you, Lord, for who you are. And Lord, we have opened ourselves to you tonight and we have asked you to inspect our hearts. And Lord, just as we bring our arms down, Lord, we thank you that you are able to look into our heart. But Lord, whatever you want us to do, we just, we just open ourselves up to your purposes. We open ourselves up, Lord, to how you want us to leave this place, the people you want us to reach the changes you want to do in our heart. And Lord, as we bring our hands back to our own hearts, we say, please align our hearts with your stuff. Shine your light into our hearts. Help our heart to beat with yours. Lord, we give you permission to search our hearts. We thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you for all your faithful witnesses down this hallway of heroes. And Lord, we thank you that we stand in line. This is our moment. This is our opportunity. What are we going to do about it this weekend, Lord? I pray, Holy Spirit, that you will give us moments when we will hear you, when we will see the face of Jesus, and when we will understand what you're saying to us and make a decision. This is our time. We stand in line, but we want to make this our opportunity to grasp. We are here for such a time as this. In Jesus' name.